This is the Motion Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information about Motion Church, you can always visit our website at motionchurch.com. If you'd like to contribute to what God is doing here at Motion, you can do that at motionchurch.com forward slash give. We hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, what's up, everybody? Hey, we are so glad that you guys are here with us for the best hour of your week. Hey, uh, so obviously, we've been talking a lot about Kicks for Kids for the last two and a half months. We always start around the 1st of October, and we start pushing Kicks for Kids, and we start asking you guys for money, to buy shoes, and I know it's annoying. I get it. I understand. Um, but Shelly, it's funny because Shelly, we've had this conversation numerous times, and she's like, I am not ashamed ever to ask somebody for money to buy shoes for kids who need shoes, ever. Now, if I was asking for shoes so I can go get a manicure or something, I'm sorry, if I was asking for money so I could go get a manicure or something, if I was asking for money so I could go do something for myself, that would be a different story. But we're asking for money to go buy shoes for kids in our community who need shoes. We're not just putting shoes on their feet, we're putting hope in their hearts, right? And so when we start the Kicks for Kids initiative every single year, what we do is, and ultimately we kind of do set a number And I'll be quite honest with you guys, that's for everybody else. That's not really uh, for us because our goal is always to buy as many shoes as possible for as many kids as possible. That's ultimately all that we desire to do. So when we put out the the feelers to the the counselors and we ask for the the names and the shoe sizes and all that stuff, we generally kind of give them a ballpark. We're like, hey, if you've got, you know, 25, 30, 35 kids or whatever, um, that's great. And that kind of helps us kind of set some numbers. But when they send us back a list of 100 and how, how many was... 140, do you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to say, oh, well, we'll take the first 30 and then the other 110, sorry about your bad luck. What we're going to do is we're going to go raise more money to buy more shoes for more kids. All of that to say, we, we bought 579 pairs of shoes this year. And again, it probably has gotten old. And frankly, I don't care because this is what it's all about, right? This, this makes it all worthwhile. I want to give you guys a visual representation of, of what this looks like, kind of the, again, the depth or the scope of the impact that we have had as a church or will have when we start delivering these shoes tomorrow. So we went to the Nike store in Terrell on Monday, and we started buying shoes, and so I thought we were going to break it. I thought, I thought the system could not handle what we were trying to do. So this is, this is what happened. But wait, there's more, more. right? That wasn't, it wasn't rolled up very well. Well, roll it better, you know? It's real simple. So so that's kind of what it looks like when you start buying a bunch of shoes for a bunch of kids, obviously. Like, just, I think it helps us to see it. So all of that to say, this is incredible. So for everyone who gave, for everyone who prayed, for everyone who shopped, everyone who served, everyone who's going to deliver shoes, thank you. This is what it's all about. And I didn't even cry, so there's that. Also, you guys are getting carried away. You guys are getting unhinged. So as you, if you've not been here for a while, it has been somebody. They gave me a, a new podium for Pastor Appreciation Day, and then somebody got me a gavel. And now we're going next level.
So if you don't clap, I'll take care of that. I got it. That's funny. Thank you, guys. Hey, we're continuing our series today called Tis the Season. Uh, so if, you, if you've missed any of it, we've only had one week of it, but if you missed it, I'll kind of catch you up to speed, and then we'll dive in. So obviously, this is the time of the year, Christmas. When we start to celebrate, we kind of highlight a couple of very specific topics or you know things about Christmas, and with good reason, right? Specifically, we talk about joy around Christmas time, joy to the world, like we sang last week. You guys sang so beautifully, right? Really, it was good. You want to do it again? Yeah? Well, you're all excited. Nobody else is. Uh, so we joy to the world. The Lord has come, right? Let earth receive her king. Uh, so, so we talk about things like joy. We talk about things like hope. We talk about things like peace. And obviously, those are kind of these, these staples, these quintessential components of Christmas. But it's so much more than just for Christmas, right? These are things that are not limited to the Christmas season, but they are offered for all people for all time. They are not just about now, but Although they are about now, but they're also about, you know, what's beyond this. So last week we talked about how joy is an obvious Christmas-relevant Christmas theme, but how it's also pertinent beyond the Christmas season. And this week we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics in the entire world, and that is hope. I, I love to talk about hope because I, I view hope. I don't know how you view hope. I don't know what your your belief of, of hope is and, and how you have experienced hope in your own personal life. But I, I see hope as this incredible force, this, this, this belief that gives us the ability to endure anything that this life could possibly throw at us, and not just endure it, but to, because we're so guilty, I think, so often of, well, like, sometimes I just survive, and at other times I thrive, right? And, and so, so often we're relegated to just like, just scraping by, and in reality, hope gives us the ability to face things with our heads held high. There's, there's a difference with hope, that, and, and I, don't, I don't know that there's anything else in this world that gives us this ability just quite like hope does. So what we're going to talk about first is tis the season for hope. Tis the season for hope. Obviously, during the time of Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? We celebrate the birth of our Savior away in a manger and, and those sorts of things. Those, it's interesting. I always find it funny uh, I went through a period in my life where I was like kind of like pushing back against kind of traditions and norms and all of that stuff. And so we went to a church. We were on staff at a church, and they would sing a song, and it had like a V in it, like, oh, how great thou art. Remember that? Remember that song? How great thou art. And you got to sing how you don't sing when you sing songs like that. I'm like, that's not how you sing. Why are you singing like that? And so I would just refuse to say thou. I would just be like, how great you are, just because I was an idiot, and that's where I was at in my life. And it's so funny, because during the Christmas time, we sing all of these songs, and we use a lot of the old English language, and I just think it's, it's fun. It's cool. All of that to say, Christmas is a time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, it's so much more, it, it, obviously, all of that, but it's important to consider context. It's important to consider that, that Jesus was born in a very specific time and place, and I think that stuff is relevant. As it relates to the time, I don't believe that it's an overstatement to say that they were in a time, a period of time, that you could call hopeless. And so Jesus coming into the world at the time that Jesus came into the world to bring hope, to be hope, I think was, was very, there, there's a lot of kind of the, the timing of that was very 
important. So it reminds me, it makes me think that whole idea of Jesus, you know, coming to bring hope reminds me of my favorite Christmas song. And you know, it's funny, it's like, I don't even really know the rest of the Christmas song. There's just one part that I really love about the Christmas song. Therefore, it is my favorite Christmas song. And I know, let's be honest, like that's how we remember most of the lyrics from the 90s, if you're older. It's like, I just remember that one, that one line and it was, it, was, it was everything, and I don't know the rest of what the song says, but when that part comes on, I sing it loud, sing it with, with my chest. But the, the song, the line in the song goes, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And as I think about that, that particular phrase, that the way that's worded, it kind of helps me to understand the conditions that Jesus stepped into. It was a world that was weary. It is a world that was tired, a world that was potentially or possibly lost and broken. And so when you, you consider the circumstances, the, the environment in which Jesus stepped into, there was some hopelessness, there was some despair. And, and what's so fascinating is like he came to write that, he came to change that. When I think about the word a thrill, have you ever, how many of you guys have ever been shocked in your life? Even like static shocked, like, you know, you rub the carpet. It's, it, it is, it's a thrill. I don't know if it's a good thrill, but it, it is a, a thrill. And so when I start to think about kind of this idea of being thrilled or being shocked, unfortunately, my, my word association brain goes to like resuscitation and defibrillation. <laughs> Clear, right? I, I told the first experience, like, I really want to do that at least one time in my life but not in a pressure situation where their life actually depends on it. I just want to do it to any, like a volunteer, somebody that would be willing to be like, all right, but we got to do it on video so everybody gets to see it. Any volunteers? No. Okay. As I thought. So, so when you start to think about a thrill, a shock, it, it's a jolt to the system, right? It takes what was once vibrant that is now dormant and brings it, brings it back to vibrancy, right? It brings it back to, to life in a sense, and I think that's exactly what you have going on when Jesus came to the earth at the time that Jesus came to the earth. So they had been in a period of time known as the 400 silent years. So I know what we do when, when if you've got a paper Bible and you go from the book of Malachi and you flip to the New Testament, there is no elapsing of time, right? It's a matter of seconds or milliseconds even as we, we transition from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. But in real lifetime, in real time, there was a period of about 400 years where they were called the silent years, where they feel like or they felt like that God was not speaking to them, that there were no, no new prophets that had been raised up. There was no new revelation from God. And, and when God is not speaking or God does not feel like he's near, then there is despair. There is hopelessness. When God is near, there is hope. When God feels distant, then there is hopelessness. So they were in this period of time that there was hopelessness. And that's what Jesus stepped into. When Jesus was born, as it always is with God, his timing was impeccable. Yes. Now, I did not say that his timing matched up or lined up with your timing. Because right. my timing and God's timing are always different. I'm a microwave, he's a crock pot. Right? I want it now. In fact, I don't want it now. I wanted it yesterday. And, and what's so good, here's what's helpful. This is, this is a freebie, unrelated. In regards, to, in regards to God's timing, he doesn't give it to you now because you ain't ready for it, 
right? Sometimes you need to be more prepared. Sometimes some things need to change. Sometimes some growth needs to happen. Sometimes a foundation needs to be laid before he can give you the thing that you're asking for. So if you're ever in a situation where you're questioning God's timing, just remember you probably ain't ready for what you're asking for, and that's why it's taking a little longer than you would like for it to take. All of that to say, did somebody say testify? I like, okay. Glory, hallelujah, right? So we, got, we can keep going. So, so when Jesus was born, as it always is with God, his timing was impeccable. He stepped into this, this time, this season of hopelessness when the world may have been at, at one of, let's, let's not be you know, extreme and not say it was the absolute darkest period in time, but it was, it was one of, it was a time of, of great darkness, a time of great despair, of great hopelessness, and this is what this is what Jesus came into, the, the light of the world, the hope of the world. It was this light that shines through into the darkness. So Christmas wasn't just about the birth of Christ. Christmas was also about the birth of hope. It's this moment in time, this period in history, this, this very specific event in history that we can, we have the privilege of hindsight of looking back to and, say, and saying, that's where my hope was born. But what's fascinating is, is like you, you have to remember, again, context, this is what Jesus came into. There was a lot of stuff that had already happened up to that point, right? So you have hundreds of years of the, the people of God like wondering, when is God going to make things right? Because our understanding of the story is there was creation, there was the fall, and now there's sin and separation from God. And so the question was, when is God going to bring us back to himself? And that question had been asked for hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, it's kind of one of the things that we, we do at Christmas. We do this Isaiah, which is an Old Testament prophet, and he's, the, the, the prophecy about Jesus is, unto us a child is born, unto us a Savior is given, right? And it, and it kind of gives this description of Jesus. And so what we have to remember is like, this was their hope being fulfilled. All of their expectations and all of the things that they were looking forward to were fulfilled in this moment, right? It was, it was, in a sense, it was kind of like not a retroactive hope, but it was a hope that you had been looking forward to, and now it has been met so that all of the things that you hope for are. Yay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Maybe, maybe this will help sum it up just a little bit better. So there was a conversation where John the Baptist, if you're not familiar with John the Baptist, he came onto the scene before Jesus. He was called a forerunner, not a Toyota, but a forerunner. <laughs> Like came before Jesus, and, and so his, his job was essentially to prepare the way for the message of the gospel, and so John is doing his thing. He's, he's telling everybody to, hey, just be aware of the kingdom of God. Like, make sure that you're not just living your life for yourself, but consider what God wants you to do with your life, and so as he's doing this, Jesus comes onto the scene, and, and it's interesting that, like, they were actually kind of cousins, and John seems as if he's unaware of who Jesus actually is, and so this is the conversation. So, so John was in prison, so by proxy, he had to have this conversation with Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, it says this. Now, while in prison, John heard about the works of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or are we to look for someone else? And I think that question kind of gives you an idea. It gives you a picture of the, the situation, like what they were hoping for. Are you the one that we've been 
waiting for? Are you the one that we've been looking for? Are you the one that we've been hoping for? Are you the one that's going to answer the questions that we've been asking? Are you the one that is going to right the wrongs in the world? Are you the one that's going to bring this, this reconciliation between God and man? Are you the one? And as you know, Jesus fulfilled that question of hope. He, he fulfilled and gave to them the hope that they had been looking for all that time. And so the hope that was fulfilled then is the hope that's promised to us now. The hope that was fulfilled then is the hope that was promised to us, that is promised to us now. And that's exactly what the Christmas, the Christmas story reminds us of. That's why this season is so important because, again, we can look back on this specific moment in history and say that is where hope came from. That's the, the origins of hope, the birth of Jesus. No longer, like Shelley was talking about, with Emmanuel, God with us. No longer can we say that we are distant or separated from God. Our hope is in him. He is with us. And because of that, as a result of that, I will always have access to hope. And that's why this Christmas season is so important. Now, you don't have to, just because it's important and it's good, doesn't mean you have to start it in October for the record. You can still start it in December and everybody wins. It's just better that way. It's like a good thing can become not necessarily as much of a good thing if you overdo a good thing. Let's keep it a good thing, right? So, so as I think about hope, I think about, again, kind of what it is that, that is available to us as a result of hope. And, and Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, I believe gives us some insight into this. It says this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Okay, that's everybody with me? So, so this is kind of the introduction. This, this is the gospel message, right? Like we can now, because of what Jesus came to the earth to do, we have this peace with God, this reconciliation with God. We have access to grace, and that grace allows us to stand, to endure, and to persevere. And then it says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, interestingly enough, a lot of times when you see the expression, the glory of God, there's, there is kind of a veiled reference to Jesus. He is, he is the glory of God. Some of the language that would be used to describe children in the Old Testament would be like they are, for example, if I have child or children, have a child or children, then they would be my glory right? Does that make sense to everybody? So when it says the glory of God, it's actually talking about the person of Jesus. And so we boast in the hope of the person of Jesus, the glory of God. Not only so, but we also, I thought that was, that preaching was a lot better than your amen. It. That's okay, because we'll continue anyway, right? And it says not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance Character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you start to frame, let's just, let's just frame that entire passage kind of under this, this, this umbrella of hope and look at what it is that we have access to. Look at what it is that should cause us to have this hope that we have. It says that we have We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God. 
that we have gained access, that we can, we can step into grace, and this grace gives us the ability to stand, that it, we also, we can glory in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produce perseverance. It's not that we just go through things and we don't actually learn from the things that we go through. We go through the things that we go through and we get stronger and we develop some backbone and some character, right? So those, those sufferings produce perseverance. I think probably this is where the greatest breakdown has happened in modern Christianity because I can't tell you how many people I've seen that start coming to church and they, they start kind of trying to live this life of faith and following Jesus. And at the first sign of trouble, the first sign of suffering, they out, they gone, right? And because they don't allow faith and hope and grace to do the work that it wants to do, they don't ever get from suffering to perseverance. And if you get to the perseverance stage, then you start to develop some character, and then that character produces hope. And it's kind of this, this cycle that, that feeds itself. It's like because we have hope, we can experience suffering and, and, and develop perseverance and develop character, which gives us more hope. And because of the hope that we have, we can experience more suffering and develop more perseverance and develop more character, which leads to more hope. And because of the hope that we have, do you, do you, see, you see how it works? And so this is what we are invited to. This is what the birth of Jesus Christ gives us access to. This is what the Christmas season invites us to in terms of or as it's related to hope. Tis the season for hope. But I don't know if you know this or not, but tis always the season for hope. There, there is not an expiration date. On hope, again, like we talked about last week, I should have brought a can of, a can of Spam. <laughs> spam, I, I don't know that Spam expires. In fact, there are two things. If there is a zombie apocalypse or a nuclear war that, that eliminates all things, two things on this earth will remain, cockroaches and Spam. That's a nasty world, but it is, right? You just, those, some things you just can't seem to get rid of. And, and so... There is not an expiration date on hope. There is not a condition on hope. It's not, again, it's not tied to your circumstances. It's not tied to the, the success of this or that. It is something that because of its stability, because it gives, again, the ability to suffer, to persevere, to produce character, and it gives us more hope, and it's, it produces this cycle, that gives us the ability to year after year, month after month, week after week, and day after day, just to be steady and to remain kind of the, the, the old school expression would be steadfast. There was a, a verse about Jesus in the Old Testament, and it says that he set his face like flint, like a rock, that he was steady, that he was unwavering, that he wasn't changed by the events, the circumstances, or the seasons of life. And that's where our hope is anchored. Our hope is anchored. There's another verse that says about Jesus that he was a nail fastened in a sure place. Have you ever tried to hang something in drywall? If you don't hit the stud, whatever it is that you're hanging, especially if there's weight to it, is probably going to hit the deck. But if you hit a stud, you can hang, you can anchor something to it, and, and whatever it is that you anchor to it is probably not going to fall. What I'm trying to tell you is Jesus is a stud. That was good. Okay. So, so understanding that hope is not limited to a season, it's not limited to a circumstance or a condition, I think is, is important to understand. It leads us or gives us the ability to understand that hope is for all seasons. So we just read Romans chapter 5. 
in the new, new international version. Now, look, I don't know where you're at. Like, this is one of those things. Church people can be so annoying. Like, I love church people. I'm a church people. But I, we, I, I'm annoyed by us, right? We, we, I was, in fact, I was listening to a song this morning, and I didn't even know that there, I did know this, there are people that their, their sole purpose in life is to criticize things that other people do, even in the context of Christianity. So it's like Christian people whose whole platform is to criticize other Christian people and their beliefs and thoughts and expressions and all those sorts of things. And I'm like, how about you start telling us what you do instead of telling other people what they did wrong? That's just, okay. So all of that to say, I know some people are like finicky and, and very, you know, you don't want to get too, too far into the weeds as far as uh, versions of the Bible and all that stuff. If you are King James, baby, be King James. If you're like old school but cool, you do new King James, you can do that too. I like the, my, my understanding, now I could be wrong, but it's been told to me by people that I trust that the New American Standard is like one of the closest word for word translations. So that's what I like. Some of you like the new, the new international version. Shelly likes the message, which I've always given her crap for because I think it's, it's a lot, right? It's so wordy and fluffy and, and just, it's like when you use, when, when the expression Tom, Dick, and Harry is in the, the, the Bible, I, I'm just, it, it's hard for me to get behind it. And it's in there. And it's, it's there. And, and I, so the joke has always been that, like, I'm pretty sure that the recipe for Rice Krispie Treats is in there also. But it's not. It's good. So, so there's, there's a deeper story to the, the Message Bible, but all of that to say, I don't know what version you use. So we just read the New International Version. So this one is actually from, we're going to read Romans chapter 5, verse 5 in the New American Standard Version, and this is what it says. So let's go back. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 in the, new, the NIV, it says, and hope does not put us to shame. That's awesome. Like, it's incredible that, that again, because I think shame is such a, a pertinent issue. It's a relevant issue for people today. So it's great that hope does not put us to shame. But the, the New American Standard Version says, and hope does not disappoint. Yeah, thank you. Have you ever been disappointed yes. in someone, yeah. in something, in, in some entity, organization, government, life, right? We, we've all been disappointed. So, so disappointment is a result of these were my expectations, these were the results, and there is a gap between what I expected and what you did, right? And, and so that's where disappointment sets in. And so hope does not leave that gap. Like your expectations and God's performance, God's performance will always exceed your expectations. So, so as it relates to hope, it's important for us to remember that this is something that is not just available to us year-round, but it's something that does not disappoint. It's something that is not confined to a season. It's not something that is confined to a circumstance. Hope transcends and is available to all of us. Now, people will always push back, and, and like kind of the what we do is we like to use these straw man arguments about, well, you know, if, if for example, like if God is good, how can bad things happen? You're, you're kind of tossing out at that point, the baby with the bathwater, which is a terrible expression, by the way. Like, you're, 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 you're focusing on just this, this very myopic part, and you're not considering all of the context. And so when we say that, that as long as our expectations or God's performance exceeds our expectations, then, then a lot of that is predicated on what our expectations are. Are your expectations to live a life that honors God? then his performance will exceed your expectations. If your, your goal, if what it is that you desire is to, look, to live a life that pleases yourself, a life of the, the fleeting pleasures of this life, then God's 
performance is probably not going to exceed your expectations, and you're always going to have disappointment, which we'll talk about more in a minute. So all of that to say, so we've got tis the season for Christmas, not for Christmas, obviously that, tis the season for hope, like Christmas, the Christmas season is a time when we celebrate hope, but, but hope is so much more than that. It's something that we should celebrate at all times. So let's talk about how we can apply this hope. Let's talk about hope applied. I love, as you guys know, if you've been around any length of time, I love definitions. I love words. I'm usually not good with them, but I like them, right? Like a junior high boy at a, at a dance, right? He likes <laughs> girls, but he's just not good with them, right? Can't talk to them. That's funny. So, so I love words and I love definitions. And, and what I think we do sometimes is like we use words. I'm guilty of this. We use words without fully understanding exactly what it means. And sometimes that's important because sometimes as we use it, we begin to understand it more fully. So, so there's, there's power in that. But I think with hope, sometimes we, we use hope and we don't mean hope. We mean something other than hope, but it's because we don't really understand hope that we use the word hope. I hope you understand what I'm saying, right? So, so the word that's used in the passage of Romans chapter 5 is, is the, the Greek word elpis, E-L-P-I-S, like elpis, right? And, and so, because, you know, whatever. So, and this is the definition of, of the word elpis or the word hope. It is joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Joyful and confident expectation, right? There's the expectation and, and, and again, you don't have to be disappointed because you, you are, in fact, encouraged to have this expectation because God will not disappoint. It is a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Yes. Now, I don't think we use hope quite like that. We use hope. Hope is so much deeper than the way that we tend to use it. Hope is so much more meaningful than the way that we tend to use it. Like, we, we tend to use hope pretty flippantly, like, well, I hope that works out for you, right? right? Or I hope they're okay. You know, they got they, their foot ran over, and I hope they're okay. I hope, I hope, I hope. But hope, hope is so much bigger than that. I, I think what happens, the reason we've kind of arrived at this place where we use hope, let's say, inappropriately is because we've conflated these ideas, for example, of optimism and hope. And I'm all for optimism. Like, I think optimistic people are wonderful. You're annoying, but you're wonderful, right? Like, you're not realistic. Like, you have a, a separation between reality and your, what's going on in your head, and God bless you for it. Like, that would also be referred to as delusional. I'm just kidding. So, so optimism is wonderful. Optimism is a great thing. Like, we talked about last week, like, joy is the ability to have this positive outlook in spite of some of the negative things that happen in our lives. So, so optimism is important, but optimism is not hope. Optimism, this is the best quote that I've ever heard on this. I stole it, and it's okay to steal it as long as you apologize. Ed Young is a, a preacher, a conference that we go to, and he said that God gives you eyes, so plagiarize. And that is what we're doing. So my favorite quote in this regard is, is optimism is psychological, hope is theological. Optimism is this idea, it's this thought process or pattern of thinking in your head that at the, the very best could produce in you a feeling of good or positivity towards a person, a circumstance, or a season. 
That's the best that you can hope for with optimism. It's like I start to think about things positively, and then as a result of that, I feel positively about this, that, or the other. Whereas hope is, is theological. Hope can result in, so, so hope is, again, maybe it's a way of thinking. Like we have this, this belief that this is our understanding of the word. It's a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. So because I'm thinking about it in such terms, it gives me the ability to believe. Hope starts to seep down into our hearts and results in belief. Optimism at best can result in a feeling. Hope at best results in a belief. Now, if you don't know anything about belief, belief is what causes people to do some of the craziest, wildest, best, and worst things in all of history. Belief is this incredibly power, powerful or incredibly destructive force. It depends on what you attach your belief to. So we're obviously, this is good. We're attaching our belief to Jesus, you know, right? So, so you understand where that comes from. So belief, it, it's one of those things that gives you the ability to do these incredible things and to endure and to persevere because of you have, you have this belief and that belief comes from the hope that you have. So it's a belief that no matter what happens in this life, you serve a God that is good. Now, does that mean that everything that happens to you is good? No, you serve a God that is good. It says in Romans chapter 8, those, those things that we know so well, if you've been around church at, for any length of time, that all things work together for the good. Does not say that all things are good. In fact, if they're working together for your good, that means they're probably not good because there wouldn't be any work if it was already good. And there's these things that have to happen. There's these difficulties that we have to experience so that the good can come out of it. You got to have the struggle to have the growth. That's where it all comes from. And hope is what gives us the ability to struggle with a smile on our face. Hope is what gives us the ability to, to suffer with our heads held high. I just don't think you can do it otherwise unless you are clinically insane. Like there is, there is no explanation for somebody who can go through struggle and sorrow and despair and hopelessness, what we would consider hopelessness, with, with a smile on their face, with their head held high, with this belief that God is good, unless they had this hope in their soul that this isn't everything there is for us, and, and we hope for good things here, we hope for good things here, but we know that this is not the end for us, that there is so much more for us. In fact, Jesus said this, John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Listen, I'm just warning you guys, I'm starting to feel like some preach, come on, so I don't know. I don't know. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, it says this. In my father's house are many mansions. Jesus is a baller. It's like Beverly Hills, y'all. Right, anyway. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I've got something for you. You can expect this. I'm going to meet your expectations. There's not going to be a gap between what you want and what you get. This is what I'm doing. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. Again, God's desire is for us to be with him, to be near him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And when there was the separation, he's like, I'm tired of this separation. I'm about to go get him myself and bring him back up here in my father's house. Are many mansions, and, and if you're like MTV generation, in my father's house are many cribs. 
So, so interestingly enough, that's, that's one definition, kind of one, one version of the definition of hope is this, it's confident, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Now, there's an alternative definition from, from this, you know, same word, and, and it's kind of one of those offerings of the definition that you cheat when you give the definition. It's like sometimes you use the word uh, that you're defining in the word, and you just, you're not allowed to do that. But this is one of the, the definitions of the word hope. So the word hope, by definition, is the author of hope, or he who is its foundation. In other words, it would be like, well, hope is Jesus, and Jesus is hope. Yeah. You're, you're kind of cheating when you're, you're defining things like that. It's, it's kind of like the, more like the self-titled album, right? It's like introducing the artist, hope, with the title, or the, the, the title of the album is hope, right? That's not fair. And, and so what we have to understand is that hope is not just a thing, but hope is a person. Hope, hope is not just a feeling. It's not just a belief, but hope is Jesus. Hope has a name. And so when we're, we're saying that we want hope, we're saying that we need hope, what we're saying is that we need Jesus. That's what we are saying when we're saying that we need hope. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. Now, it's, it's a longer passage. We're going to read all of it, but it's the last section there that we're going to really own in on. It says, to them... God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is fascinating that, that God sent his son to the earth to be with us, not just to be with us, to, but to be ultimately in us. And it says this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus didn't just come to bring hope. Jesus came to be hope. He is the hope that we're looking for. Christ is hope. He, he is all that we need to get through this season and to get through any season in our lives. I guess if you're, you're kind of looking for, you know, in terms of application, a very simple and, and broad application here would be if you find yourself in need of hope, what you are actually finding yourself in need of is more of Jesus. If you're finding yourself in a season or a situation or at a point in a relationship where you're, you're just needing more hope, you're feeling the, the weight of it, the darkness of it, the despair of it, what you're needing and what you should be asking for is for more of Jesus. Now, there, there is, so we have this thing in life, in, in physics, in the world called capacity. Everybody familiar with capacity? Uh, I'll give you the best example, like my stomach has a, a certain capacity. I try to push beyond that capacity very regularly, but at the end of the day, I figure out my capacity is my capacity, right? So, so when it comes to our relationship with God and, and thinking of it specifically from kind of the lens of hope, there must be, if you want more of hope, which means you want more of Jesus, there has to be a decreasing of something else. Yeah. And that decreasing has to be of you. That decreasing has to be of me. There's gotta be less of us if we want more of him. In fact, that's how John the Baptist, kind of using, using his language again, he, he said in John 3.30, he's like, he must increase and I must decrease. You can't have both. And so that's what, what I, I think is so fascinating about hope is when we're, we're asking for hope, what we're really asking for is Jesus. And when we're asking for Jesus and asking for more of him, then that means that we have to have the, the humility to relinquish some of our control, some of our feelings about being right. So it's fascinating to me, if you go back to the book of Proverbs, go back hundreds and hundreds of years, in Proverbs 14, 12, 
it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Now, what we do so often, like what we personally do, I suspect you do this, I've done this, I know that the world does this, is that we want to try to do things our own way. We want to try to do things, especially kind of in this, this, like this, this self-empowerment world that we live in. It's like it's all about you, you do you, you live your truth. And, but I, I'm, I'm having such a hard time speaking of defining things. I'm like, well, isn't truth just truth? And it, like, if your truth isn't truth, then it's not truth. Amen. It's a lie. Preach. But that's just my opinion. And get mad if you need to, right? So we live in a world where, where there's a lot of, there's kind of a lot of motivation. There's a lot of pushing to, to, to go after more of you. And, and the reality is, is like, well, if that's what you want, then you do that. Go for it. Knock yourself out. You, you have the, the freedom to make that decision. But don't be surprised when you're disappointed at the end of it. Don't be surprised when you're hopeless at the end of it. Don't be surprised when there's not a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation at the end of it. Because the end of it, the end of pursuing your way, your thing, and your life, and trying to be the captain of your own ship, and all of these things that we say, ultimately will result in death. It will result in distance. It will result in removing yourself further and further away from God. And when there is a separation between man and God, there is despair, there is hopelessness. Now, on the other hand, if you, if you choose, you desire to have more of Jesus, and you're, you're willing to relinquish some of that, you're willing to take less of you and more of him, then you will, by, by result, or as a result of that, you will experience more hope. And again, it's this cycle that we long for, right? We, we want more hope. Jesus gives us more hope, which gives us the ability to suffer and persevere and produce character, which produces hope, and then the cycle continues. So that's what I love about hope is that, that it's, it's available for all of us at all times. And again, ultimately what we have to do is be willing to, to less and less of us and more and more of him. We're going to wrap up with this because this is the last thing I think in terms of, of application that I think is really, really, really important. One of the things that I love about hope is how non-exclusive hope is. I think what we do Maybe this is kind of part of the, the broken human condition is like we tend to, we try to group people, right? We try to say, well, you're part of this group and you're part of this group and this group is better than this group. And we, we try to make things very exclusive. And what's so cool about hope is that it is, it is not exclusive at all. If you have breath in your lungs, if you are created in the image of God, if you are a person for who Jesus died on the cross for, then you are a candidate for hope. If, if you read the first 17 verses, we're not going to do it. Don't freak out on me. The first 17 verses, and matter of fact, we're fitting to do it. We'll bust it out. Y'all ready? I'm not. Hold on. I got to pull it up. Matthew chapter one. I'm probably going to mispronounce some names here and that's okay. So Matthew chapter one, the first 17 verses are what is referred to as genealogy, which is lineage, right? It's like your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and so on and so, so on and so on. Y'all ready? That's what it says. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is where we go. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Ram. What a name, Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon, 
Salmon, that's a dispute that's still ongoing. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Right, jot that mental note. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. And Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David, the king, David. Jot that down. David fathered Solomon. Jot that down. Who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Ball in name. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, well, I hope I said that right. Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abihud. Abihud fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akim. And Akim fathered Eliad. Eliad fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Mathan. And Mathan fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David, David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. So 42 generations of people whose name I probably just assaulted. And as you read that list, some things start to pop up. Some things start to occur when you consider that Rahab is in that list. And Rahab was a prostitute. And you consider that David was in that list, and David was a murderer and an adulterer. And you consider that Solomon was in that list, and Solomon had a whole bunch of wives. And you consider that there are liars and cheaters and adulterers and murderers and prostitutes in this list. It just gives me the idea that hope is for everyone. That, that Jesus came from this chaos to bring hope to our chaos, and there is no one who is exempt for that. So as, as we leave this place, as you continue to celebrate the Christmas season and beyond, just, just remember these three things. Hope transcends. Ho hope is not predicated on your circumstances. You're looking at optimism, not hope. You're, you're looking for a feeling, not a belief. So hope transcends your circumstances. The second thing is that hope is for everybody. If, if God can love some of the people that God has loved, he can love you, not because of you, but oftentimes in spite of you. Hope is for all of us. And the last thing to remember is that hope is Jesus. Jesus is hope. If, if you're in a season, you're in a circumstance where you, you feel that darkness, that despair, my encouragement to you would be to, to do something as simple as this. If you find yourself in a situation where, where, again, you're feeling this or you're in a season where you're just, it's heavy and it's dark and it's ominous, just, just try to say the name of Jesus. Just speak the name of Jesus. It says that his name is the name that's above every other name. And it seems like we tend to say anything and everything but the name of Jesus that has the ability to bring change to our circumstances or at least to bring change to us in our circumstances. Hope transcends. Hope is for all. Hope is Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we're so thankful for everything that you've done for us. 
for everything that you've, you've made available to us, the hope that you offer as a result of, of believing that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you said you will do, that you're a God that is good, that you're a God that can be trusted, that you're a God that doesn't disappoint, that you're a God if we put our hope and our expectations in you, God, that you will perform and you will deliver. That doesn't mean that it's gonna look how we think it should look or it's gonna happen when we think it's gonna happen, but you are a God who provides for us this hope for our eternal salvation, God, that you went and prepared a place for us and we're so thankful for that. God, this morning, I just pray for, for everyone in this room that, it, that if there's anybody here that's, that's maybe in a season of, of hopelessness, of despair, even just heaviness, God, we just want to speak the name of Jesus into their lives, into their circumstances, into that, that season of darkness and despair. God, that you are the light of the world. God, that you are the one who brings hope to the hopeless. God, that you are a father to the fatherless. God, you are the one who came to make right what was wrong. And so, God, over their life and over their circumstances, we just declare, we speak the name that's above every other name, and that our hope would be found in you. Jesus, we love you, and we're so thankful for you. It's in your incredible name we pray. Amen.